When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Lynn Freeman, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Recent research has found a dramatic decline in risky behaviours among adolescents over the last two decades. They're having less sex, smoking fewer cigarettes, and drinking less alcohol than teens 20 years ago. Dr Jude Ball is a research fellow at the University of Otago, Wellington, whose doctoral thesis explores the change and explores what might be driving it. She says some of the findings are good news for parents, others less so. Dr Ball is in our Wellington studio. Kia ora, welcome. Thank you. Tell me about your research. First of all, how did you collect the data? Um, so this is my doctoral research project, um, and I wasn't doing primary data collection. Most of it focused on literature review and secondary analysis of existing data sets. Why were you interested in exploring this area? Oh, well, it, um, it's a fascinating area. And um, as you said, risk behaviours have gone down across the board, not only in New Zealand, but in other countries as, as well. And um, what really hooked me in and made me interested is that adolescent trends are quite distinct from adult trends in those same behaviours. Um, and that steep fall we've seen since 2000, that was preceded by a really steep rise in substance use in the 90s. And very little research had been done about why we were seeing these big shifts in adolescent behaviour. So you went into this with an understanding that the, the behaviour was less risky or was there a surprise element for you when you started crunching the numbers and looking at these other studies? Um, well, I started by looking at tobacco use. So we knew, we knew that smoking was going down, but it was a big surprise to me to see that teen drinking was going down because when I started this project, uh, it would have been uh, late 2016, it seemed like there was something in the news almost every week about young people running amok, you know, youth drinking being a big problem. So my assumption was that youth drinking must be going up, but in fact that's not the case. The information that you're looking at, where does it come from, the different sources mm -hmm. that you've brought together for this analysis? So in New Zealand, um, the main data sources I've used are the ASH Year 10 smoking survey um, and the Youth 2000 survey, which is a very comprehensive survey of secondary school students right through um, that was done in 2001, 2007 and 2012. And there are similar surveys to that um, in other countries. So, for example, the Health Behaviour in School-Aged Children study, um, that's undertaken in about 30 countries across Europe and North America, asking very similar questions around um, substance use, sexual behaviour, um, driving behaviour, and also some of the contextual things about how family life is, um, how attached young people are to school, and so on. Well, let's break this down. Let's have a look at the these different trends. So smoking cigarettes, mm -hmm. as you say, that, that's that's no surprise. Mm -hmm. I know you're looking at numbers. Do you get any sense of the reasons behind it? I mean, you might assume mm -hmm. cost 
or it's just not cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know if vaping comes into it. You know, has it been replaced by something else? But what's your gut feeling? Um, well, there has been this massive decline in adolescent smoking, and it's much steeper than the decline we've seen in adults. So there is something particular going on with young people. And through my research, I was able to test some hypotheses. So, uh, for example, the idea that tax was a factor, um, and also whether parental smoking had gone down and whether that was influencing young people, um, and whether smoking in the home had declined, because that's also a risk factor. Um, but the findings suggested that the decline in adolescent smoking is independent of all of those things. So we didn't have increases in tax, tobacco tax in New Zealand between 2000 and 2010, and that's the period when smoking was declining most steeply. Um, so from 2010 we have had this massive increase in tax, um, and yet that hasn't led to a steeper decline in adolescent smoking. In fact, the decline's eased off a bit, as you would expect as it gets closer to, to zero. So what is it? What's happened? Well, for smoking, the biggest factor that we can identify in New Zealand is a big change in attitudes among young people. Um, so, for example, the Youth 2000 study asks young people, do you think it's okay for people your age to smoke and drink and take cannabis? And for smoking, about a third of them in 2001 said, yep, it's okay for people my age to smoke. Um, that halved between 2001 and seven, and then halved again between 2007 and 12. So it's a really big normative shift in quite a short period. It's encouraging, isn't it? What about cannabis? And this is interesting, of course, given the referendum that's going to be held next year and the conversations. Cannabis has certainly been in the news. What have you found there? Um, well, what's interesting, there's been not a great deal of research about cannabis decline, but there have been a few studies in the US and Norway. Um, and the suggestion seems to be that because drinking and smoking are going down, young people are going out less at night with their friends, there's less opportunity um, that you know the opportunities to try cannabis aren't coming up as frequently for young people. Alcohol, um, alcohol. There, there suddenly is a, an explosion of research around youth drinking decline because it is a real mystery. You know, unlike tobacco, where there are quite strong policy measures and so on in place, with alcohol in New Zealand and internationally, you know, there hasn't been a, a tightening of the policy environment, and yet we've seen this really steep decline in drinking. Um, and the, the themes that are coming through for alcohol, uh, as I mentioned, young people are going out less at night, um, so that's affecting all risk behaviours. Um, a second theme, which I wasn't able to test in New Zealand yet, but parental behaviours seem to play a big role in the drinking decline. So in particular that parents are less permissive than they used to be about teenagers drinking and less likely to supply them with alcohol. So those seem to be big factors. Yeah, we'll come back to the parental side of things because that's really interesting, mm. that finding. Sexual behaviour, another interesting one. Um, so like cannabis, se- the decline in sexual activity seems to be a knock-on from less drinking. So oh, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, so it? binge drinking is less frequent, um, less opportunities to meet sexual partners. kind of makes sense. Um, but there do seem to be other factors with sexuality as well, some unknown factors, whereas for cannabis the decline's completely explained by the decline in smoking and drinking. The data, a few years old now, any reason Mm -hmm. to think it's changed? Um, Yeah, that's a really good point. So the Youth 2000 study, um, 
the ones I was looking at finished in 2012, which is a long time ago. Uh, but you'll be pleased to hear that the Youth 2000 team have just completed another survey. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be helping work on the analysis of that. So the results will be out early next year. And I think that will really help to show what's going on with these teen trends. But as far as smoking goes, um, we, there seems to, we seem to have hit a plateau in New Zealand from around 2015-16. There hasn't really been any further decline. Um, and that's the same in Australia and um, England as well. Well, I, I mentioned vaping before, mm-hmm. and that's probably something that does need to be looked at because that's kind of taking over the cool territory, the way that it's it's branded and, and the flavours and everything yeah. like that. So that's going to be something you need to keep an eye on. That's right, and that's something that the Youth 19 study is going to be able to explore in some depth. I wondered also about health education. I, I know health education is mm-hmm. quite strong now in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be, you know, physical education was just getting out on the field and getting wet and tired was my mm. memory of it. But they are talking about health and that the, the young people are having these conversations mm. and aware of the damage. That There was a lot of ignorance about smoking, you know, decades ago, but they know now the consequences. Do you think that's helping? Um, yeah, well, evidence from the US suggests that the perception of harm associated with smoking has gone up amongst young people. Um, And in some ways, I think that's surprising. I mean, I was a teenager in the 1980s, and we certainly got the message at school that smoking was bad for you, Um, whether we listened or not is another thing. Yeah, so I think education is probably part of the picture, but I, I don't think it's the major explanation of what we're seeing, because of course, we had health education in the 90s, um, and substance use was going up in the 90s. So I I'm not aware of any sudden shift that there's been in the way that we educate young people. At the same time, though, of course, we're having these great concerns about mental health. Mm -hmm. So physical health might be improving, but mental health, the the pressures, Mm -hmm. the anxieties that this Mm -hmm. generation is feeling uh, is problematic. I agree. And what's clear looking at the patterns of trends is that the declining behaviours are those that are usually undertaken with friends at night, you know, drinking, smoking, drugs, sex. Also, juvenile crime is going down, teen pregnancy is going down. Um, But looking at nutrition and physical activity, for example, um, physical activity is not improving, nutrition's not improving, and mental health's getting worse. So it's not that young people are getting healthier and happier across the board. Um, and I, I think that is something that we do need to be concerned about. Are these two sides of the same coin, perhaps, some of the same forces that are discouraging young people from getting involved in substance use could have a shadow side to them. So the isolation that comes with not socialising also has its consequences if you're sedentary, if you're uh, stuck at home alone and not and not sharing. Well, there's, there's definitely a strong link between physical activity and mental well-being. Um, so I think that's concerning that young people are less active than they used to be. And this whole online bullying thing too, of course. What about let's look more at parenting mm-hmm. because this does seem to be something to take heart mm-hmm. from and, and, and parenting attitudes. So what, what are you sensing that's changing here in terms of the parental role? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, again, it is good news and, and maybe counter to some of the narratives in society. I think there's a general kind of sense that family life is deteriorating. You know, we don't eat together anymore. Parents are too busy. But in fact, the data doesn't 
really strongly support that. What we're seeing over decades is that parents are spending more time with their kids. They're more involved in their lives. Um, and a lot of the indicators around family life are improving. So in the Youth 2000 study, for example, the proportion of young people exposed to violence in the home went down quite significantly between 2001 and 2012. Um, and same in, in the States, we're seeing um, less abuse and neglect. So there's some really positive indicators. Have expectations of parents gone up to, do you think that we, we're trying to hold our parents to a higher standard? Um, I think there's, there are huge pressures on parents and I think parents put a lot of pressure on themselves as well. Um, and in some ways that could be a good thing if it means that young people are more involved. You know, parents and young people are communicating better, for example. There are, I'm just trying to think back to my childhood and I'm much older than you are, but certainly in my day we just went out roaming. Mm-hmm. And my, my parents were lovely, but, you know, I could be gone for hours. As yep. long as I came back, you know, in time for, for dinner, it was all fine. You know, walk to school. It was, it was, a, different, it was a different time. Uh, and then it seemed to be that parents became very, in recent years, very anxious. And there was a risk of kind of smothering your children and taking that freedom away. Do you get a sense that maybe parents are negotiating a middle, a middle route, you know, trusting their children, but also exercising control where it needs to be? Mm, I hope so. I mean, I don't feel like I can answer that with, with great knowledge, but certainly there has been a big shift in parenting norms. What was certainly normal and expected in the 70s suddenly wasn't okay in the 80s. For example, kids walking to school by themselves. Um, so a lot of that was around um, stranger danger, but also having more traffic on the roads and traffic safety concerns. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right, we do need to find a middle ground because those kind of experiences of independence and separation from family and, um, you know, getting yourself in a scrape and getting yourself out of it, those are quite formative experiences that young people need to have um, to, to have some resilience as they grow up. Yes, I wonder if teenagers these days are less able to fend for themselves than their parents were at the same age because of that kind of those years of being protected. You know, we were brought up to be incredibly independent, really. Yeah, it does seem to. It's yeah, it's plausible that that's part of it. So it's I haven't seen the research on that, but it certainly sounds like something that's worth investigating further. It's been a fascinating area for you, isn't it? And as oh, you yes. say, you're still involved in the research. What mm-hmm. are some of the questions you would most like to be able to answer? Ah, well, I, I think it was, it's a point of frustration that having looked at this question of why risk behaviour is declining, you know, three years work and I haven't got a simple answer to that. And I think that's because there isn't a simple answer. Um, it's a complex interplay of factors um, and and there's there's quite clear evidence that the kind of glib answers we might want to put forward that you know oh it's education or oh it's digital media, um, the 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 qualitative evidence and quantitative evidence don't really support those theories. And do also does thought have to be given to the ways that young people are asked questions to make sure that the information that you're getting is as accurate as possible? 
Mm, so that's that's a question that's been asked in research over many decades. Are young people telling the truth? Um, and the surveys that we do in New Zealand, we try and use the best methods to encourage young people to um, be open and honest. So, for example, the Youth 2000 survey, it's done on a tablet, um, so they're putting their answers directly in, so no teacher is ever going to see them. Um, and none of their peers are going to see them. None it. of their peers yeah. are going to see them. The parents aren't going to see them. So that encourages, I hope, young people to be open. I mean, there has been a question about, well, are the effects we're seeing just social desirability bias? Is it just that um, young people are wanting to present themselves um, in a more acceptable way? But I think the size of the shifts are just too big and too consistent across countries um, for that to be a major part of it. Well, best of luck for your research. It's important, and I think there are some stereotypical views that you will have exploded in that in that conversation about our, our young people, which is really encouraging too. Thank you so much. Dr Jude Ball, Research Fellow at the University of Otago, Wellington. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.